Thank you so much for coming on to the Crown Legacy Podcast. You are a brother in Christ and also a coach. And across the world, man, you're in the UK right now. So it's so amazing that we have technology such as this to be able to connect and to spread the kingdom. And you and I are both in uh, the same profession as Christian men who also happen to coach. So I'm curious, man, because I think a lot of people out there don't really know exactly what coaching is or like the difference between that and counseling. Well, what like sets you apart from the the rest of the the coaches out there or what exactly do you help people with? Thanks so much, Stacey. It's such a pleasure to be here and to be having this conversation with you. Um, I I really look forward to the opportunities to, to speak with people who think deeply about things and if we can bring God into the conversation as a common ground, um, that just sweetens the conversation for me. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, I'm a coach, like you said. Uh, I, I started as a personal trainer, a fitness coach, and um, moved forward into personal development coaching. And um, I help people with a, with a number of things, um, but... But really, one of my passions, one of the things that I'm that I'm really excited about is seeing people set free, especially set free from limited mindsets and limiting beliefs that hold them back from who they want to be. And a lot of those uh, feed into and, um, and, and affect the way that we present ourselves in the world. Usually, they're a result of pain that we're carrying. And, um, and they can they can come forward, they can manifest in a lot of unhelpful behaviors. So um, I'm sure that we're going to dig into this at some point, but um, part of my story was 20 years in a pornography addiction. And I've, I've worked through that by the grace of God and with the help of deep coaching. And I've had other addictions since then that God has been revealing and dealing within me. So um, I'm just really excited for this conversation, man. Yeah, likewise, brother. And um, you and I also share that uh, that same parallel because I battled porn addiction for about 15 years. And it's something that had a stranglehold on my life so, so powerfully that I, I never thought I was going to be able to break free from it. Like I had this, I had this identity that it's just the way that my life was going to be. And I just needed to accept it and move on, even though it was causing me so much pain. And, and you can probably speak to this too, uh, the difference between pain points and the actual problem, we experience pain points all the time. And especially with things as heavy as porn addiction, we don't necessarily know what the problem is, but we know what the pain point is. And as coaches, that's really a part of our job is to listen into our clients, listen into uh, to, to these people that we're trying to help listen for their pain points and then help them discover what the actual problem is. And it's so funny how when we get to that point, or at least for me in my practice, when, when me and my clients have the discovery of the problem, 
it's like, how did I not see this before? Like it was always there. We just like subconsciously refused to believe it Mm. because we were so wrapped up in our pain of the moment and the pain of the past. And um, yeah, I kind of went in a lot of different directions on there, but yeah, I'd like to, you, uh, I'd like for you to speak on that as well. If you have any insight or any wisdom that, that you can, uh, that you can provide. Just around like pain and pain points and things. Yeah. And the problems. Yeah. 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 Um, do you know, I think I would reel it back even a little bit. I think most people who, who are dealing with, with an addiction or with a compulsive behavior like, pornography or like masturbation or um compulsive complaining even Mm -hmm. you know that kind of that's at the softer end but you know it's it's a similar similar related problem you and i know from from the coaching work that we've done i'm sure we could agree that um if you're always looking for the problem outside of yourself you're always going to find something to blame and your problem's never going to go away yeah like you, you cannot fix what you're not willing to face. Mm-hmm. And oh, if you're always looking outside of yourself, you're never going to be looking at the things that you can actually change. It may be there are situations where part of, at least part of the problem is outside of yourself, can't be fixed by you. But every problem that we experience, we're involved in, and there's an element of ourselves in it. So we can fix what's going on inside, but reeling that back even a little bit more, um, clients who are, who are switched on and they've been thinking about these things, or they've been listening to podcasts like yours or, or other kind of personal development podcasts, um, or reading self-development books or reading good Christian material on, on growth and cultivating relationship with God, they'll come across these ideas. But a lot of people in the church, outside of the church, have no idea what addiction is or why it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, what they know is that they get home from work and they just need to have a drink. But they don't understand how the stresses that have accumulated across their day become a, a, an emotional, they're, they're an emotional toll that creates an emotional thin spot and then they need something to act as a barrier, a numbing agent mm-hmm. against the pain that they're not willing to face that's now surfacing because their emotional resources are low. Yeah. Right. So, but they won't even look at the stress of the day, let alone the emotional pain that's there hiding in plain sight that they're just not willing to look at. Yeah. Right? I love like all that, of that, man. That's how I, that's how I kind of think about it. And that's part of the conversation that I try to have with people is um, what are you doing to numb the pain that you don't even know that you're carrying? Yeah. And I think we all have experienced that at least once in our lives. And I love how you use the term like a numbing agent. Um, I I like to use stuff like escapisms or vices, but you're 100% right that especially in our society and our culture where like marketing is just, it just surrounds us, you know, and we're conditioned to think that if you have this, then you will feel a certain way. And I think it really plays into our mental, emotional, and spiritual health when we're experiencing so much stress throughout our day and makes us feel a certain way. 
but then we're surrounded by so many voices that say, oh, you feel this? Just go ahead and have that or go ahead and escape to this or go ahead and numb it with that. Because once you do that, you're going to feel different. And you know what? They're not wrong. They're not really wrong. You will feel different very, very temporarily. But I loved how you used the, uh, the term that you're in a, an emotionally thin spot. Because whatever that you used to numb or to escape will dissolve very, very quickly. And then you are right back to that emotional thin spot. And you're like, oh, dang, like, well, obviously I need more of that stuff or I need to try something different or whatever, you know, and then we just repeat this habitual cycle for years, like literal years. And, uh, and I'm talking to myself too, as, as I say this, because I, I did this for most of my adult life, you know, with drinking, with porn, with uh, um, binge watching sports. I mean, it just got so bad. And then I, I was 29, almost 30 years old. Like what in the heck have I done with my life? Mm. I had some accomplishments, but they didn't align with who I knew I was capable of being. And I knew the pain that I was going through, but I didn't know exactly what the problems were. It took a lot of very, very uncomfortable digging to realize where the emotional wounds were and how they were contributing to how it's showing up in the present. And I think as coaches, it's important for us not to like take our clients back in the past to camp out there, but to at least turn around and see, okay, what in my story has happened to make me who I am today? Mm. And what is the truth behind all that? And how can I start to shift away from that so that I don't keep copying and pasting this crappy life to tomorrow? You know, how can I be a little bit better tomorrow? And there's tons of knowledge out there. There's tons of self-help stuff. There, there's a lot of things that are preached. Again, if you read this book, you're going to feel a certain way. Or if you buy this course, you're going to feel a certain way. If you have, you know, whatever. And I think the key to that is there's no, there's no people like we're missing the, the relational aspect and, and as christians i mean that's that's what sets us apart from everybody else is our god is a relational god like we're tribal creatures we're relational creatures we're supposed to help each other and even though we are capable of of fixing a lot of things ourselves internally i'm a huge advocate for knowing when it is okay to seek help and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that I try to have at least one mentor at all times because I know that, yeah, I could probably get a pretty good distance on my own. I, I know that I, I can 10x or 100x or 1000x that growth, that distance with the help of others. Mm. And especially men, yeah. I think we struggle so mightily giving ourselves permission to know when it's okay to ask for help. Um, that is honestly the very first time that I hired my first coach was with my porn addiction. When I got to a point where it's like, okay, I have failed miserably <laughs> a ton of times trying to get this figured out on my own. I need someone to help me. And that coach, as much as I praise her for everything that she'd done for me, she quickly, um, she quickly responds that she just helped me pull out some things that i already had within me mm. and she and it's true but we still need people to help us with that you know so it's like we have tools within us that are already there 
Sometimes we just need people to help expose those. Mm. And I, I like to tell my clients, like, it's my job to take you to places that you normally wouldn't go on your own. And I think that's something that is just a part of the human experience. We just prevent ourselves from going from certain places, maybe because mm. we don't even know that they're there necessarily. It takes somebody else to hear our words, to take an inventory of our life, to say, hey, you know what? I think that there's a door over here that, that you've been walking past and you're not seeing it, but I see it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh my gosh, like you're right. <laughs> yeah. You know? So going, going back to the, uh, to like people asking for help, like, is that something that, that you see with, with your clients in your practice uh, or like, what are some common themes along your, your, your clientele base as far as like their struggles or, or their, their pain points? Cause that's one that I see for me is that it's primarily men and they struggle mightily asking for help. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Asking for help is, <laughs> that's a, that's a big one. And part of that, you know, I think it, I think it comes a little bit out of this culture that has embraced mm -hmm. a very toxic expression of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I say it that way intentionally because people I've had conversations with people where they make the <clears throat> assumption that all masculinity, all masculinity is toxic because yeah. of the phrase toxic masculinity. It's not. Mm -hmm. So I think that's actually, that's something that I really want to say. There's somebody listening that needs to hear this. You are a godly man and masculinity is part of being a man It's part of being a man in the kingdom. It's part of being a son of God. And that that's not a, that's not a problem. The problem is when that gets broken and twisted. Mm -hmm. It's when we get that, that twisted masculinity. And of course, that would be the scheme of the enemy is to, is to distort everything good that God has created. So there's a toxic feminine as well. There's a toxic yes. femininity that's Amen. floating around. Doesn't get a lot of airtime, but uh, especially <laughs> in the current culture, yeah. but uh, it's there and, and it is causing damage. So that's, you know, kind of the first thing that I want to say. Part of that toxic culture though, is that men are supposed to be this lone ranger that goes out there can fix all of their problems on their own and can do everything and doesn't need anybody. And I want to come back to the, what you said earlier, which is that we're relational creatures. Mm -hmm. We were created by a relational God. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he gets to creating man, you'll see the, the, the verbiage there, the way that it's worded is let us create man in our own image. Yep. God is relational. That's huge. It is huge. And I think it's so important for, for people to, to recognize that. And the other thing that I would, that I would say to people who maybe don't want to, to seek out help or feel like they need to carry it all themselves. Um, you probably can do it yourself. If you're committed, if you want to dedicate the time to it, but I'll tell you what, if you have a conversation with Stacy, you have a conversation with me, you get involved in some coaching, you buy some consistent conversation time, um, 
you can probably shave 10 years off your journey. Yep. So what do you want to do? Do you want to do it yourself? Or do you want to shave 10 years off your journey? Amen. Uh, the other, like I, I thought of the, the uh, Chinese proverb that if you want to go, or the African proverb, it's the African proverb, isn't it? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yep. Mm -hmm. And when you were talking about um, that coach that you had, it was challenging you to, to see things differently, to notice things about yourself that you weren't seeing. Uh, I thought about that, that, uh, that proverb in a slightly different way in that you can go really, really fast in your own little circle, just kind of go around and around and around that. But if you have somebody that notices things about you that you maybe haven't picked up on, and we all have those because, I mean, this is the body that you live in. This is the way that you think. And it's just the way that you think. And you don't think there's anything weird about it. Yeah. Until it gets challenged by somebody or you have an example from outside that, right. that shows up, that highlights the contrast, the differences. And in that regard, then rather than going really fast around a little circle, we're able to travel through a bigger circle and expand that region, expand that territory, expand an understanding of ourselves. So that's one of the things that I that I kind of love about having deep conversations with people. And there are few places that I've had consistent deep conversations than in my coaching relationships. I could not agree more. Um, and that's something that I yearn for and I had always yearned for, but I just wasn't getting it. You know, it, it, uh, I was in copper and steel mining for, uh, for a decade and almost every conversation that we would have was dedicated on sports, movies, um, vacations that we had gone on, which is cool. You know, I like talking about that stuff, but it was just the same BS all the time, you know, and I was like the guy running around in that tiny little circle that you just said, you know, and I do miss the camaraderie for sure. That is the one part that I, that I dearly miss about a, a, a blue collared profession like that, as I miss being around other men, but it goes back to the relational aspect of our God, you know, we're, we're tribal mm -hmm. creatures. And I was, uh, I was not able to have deeper conversations at first until I started to shift into the, this identity that I am a beloved son, that I am a beloved warrior of God. Mm -hmm. And the, the more that I start to speak about that way, the more interesting it became to, to my guys at work. And then I did have to start. And then I did start having deeper conversations with them. It's like, it's like everyone was waiting for the one guy to yeah. lead. Everyone was waiting for the one guy to be like, okay, well, who, who's going to take this conversation deep, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and after that, it was really, really cool to start to get to know all my friends on a much deeper level like what they were mm -hmm. actually going through um, at home, what they're struggling with, um, what are their fears. Um, and that's when my coaching really actually started. That's when my counseling actually started. I started with my friends, you know, with, with, with my brothers at, at work. And that just showed me that men yearn for this, you know, like we yearn to have deep conversations. We yearn to have, like three to five really, really high quality friendships, maybe more, I don't know, but uh, I, I like the number three to five <laughs> where 
you can talk about these deep things and you don't have to have alcohol involved. You don't have to have weed involved. You don't have to be in, you know, some quote unquote, you know, a masculine place. You, you can just be, you can be wherever you want and you can uh, give yourself permission to have a deep conversation. And that showed me that we're, that we all need that, that we all yearn mm. for that. We're just waiting for someone to lead us. But going back to masculinity, I'm, I'm curious to get your, your, like what your definition is it uh, after this, but I think it just means that you lead, that you create, that you stand for something, that you stand your ground. And it's funny, like the, this, this masculine and, and feminine dynamic, because I think, I think toxic feminism has, a lot of masculine traits in it, mm. which is weird. And, and the rise of feminism really just means that a lot of women are stepping into their masculine. So mm. it, it's, it's so funny how it, it's like, it's counterintuitive, you know, like all toxic feminism is, is really them preaching that they are worthy of being masculine, but you're not allowed to be masculine because that's toxic <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense like my wife i think we might have talked about this a little bit my wife is in the uh construction industry very 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 male dominated so she needs to put on her big boy pants every day before she goes to work to hang with the men but when she comes home she's relying on me to to match her feminine energy and then clear it so that she can feel comfortable enough so that she can feel safe going into her feminine because she mm. is still a woman she still wants to put makeup on she still wants to get her hair done she still wants me to create this um this um, this masculine safety for her to where she can just flow in whatever direction that she wants in her feminine and a lot of men don't do that they feel threatened when their women are performing either pretty close to them or sometimes better. And so what they do at that point is they shift into their feminine where they're very needy. They're very emotional. Um, they don't stand their ground and that forces women to get back into their masculine. They were just masculine at work, you know, like they don't have to have beards. They don't have to be in a male dominated industry. Like being in your masculine just means that you're a leader you're, you're pursuing a goal, you're, you're creating, you're directional, you're all these things, which women are doing much more of that nowadays. But when they're forced to, to be that in the home, I think that's when relationships really start to fall apart because mm -hmm. women don't want to be that at home. They want to be able to be in their feminine at home. At least this is my theory. And this is what I see a lot. And, you know, people that I've worked with and what I've coached, um, what I've been coached on, what I've been mentored on, all the research that I've been exposed to. Um, so I'm a huge fan of like the masculine and feminine dynamic, but toxic masculinity, like what the heck is that? And how did it get put at the forefront of everything to where now all masculinity is toxic? Because I firmly believe if you're the most masculine or you, if you're the most like feminine woman ever, you truly want a masculine man. And if you're the most masculine woman ever, like you're a CEO of a company, you're in charge of thousands of people, you know, you create profits, you're, you're being directional, you have goals, those are masculine traits. 
at the end of the day, you still want a masculine man. He just has to be able to hit her level of masculinity and clear it to allow her to default into what she was created to be, which is feminine. So I kind of went in a lot of different directions right there, (laughs) but I'm curious to know, like, what, what is your definition of masculinity and why is that so important to us, especially as Christian men? Yeah. Um, I find it hard to pin down sometimes exactly what, mm-hmm. exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, because I can, I can see, and I can point to examples that would, um, that would not undermine, but would, um, be a counterpoint to any kind of point that I could, that I could make, except that I think there's, The one, the one thing that I think is important to, to say at the start is that God created them in his image. He created male, he created them male and female. That's actually how it's laid out in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And so there are aspects of God that men reflect better and, or in some cases, perhaps exclusively. And there are aspects of God that women reflect better and perhaps in some cases exclusively. Yeah. Um, what does that mean? It is, it is that I, I heard it put forward as a, as a metaphor once as like women, the, the feminine energy is more like a river mm-hmm. and the masculine energy is more like the riverbed where we, as men are meant to create boundaries, we're cre- meant to create safe, not boundaries to keep in, that's toxic mm-hmm. masculinity, boundaries to keep safe, mm-hmm. to provide stability, to provide some anchoring, to provide um, uh, guidance in direction. And that's not that we get to tell our women what they have to do or what they, or what they get to do. That's toxic as well. Right. But that we that we're we're there and creating the um, maybe not even creating but facilitating the the conversation around direction around setting goals um, the conversations around like setting setting boundaries but then also having adventure like um, in terms of parenthood mm-hmm. the definition of that that I heard recently that I like is that. Um, mom is the first home and dad is the first adventure. Oh, I like that. I'm so there's hijack that. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, so there's something of the heart of, of the, of the adventure heart of God that he's put more visibly into men mm-hmm. as, as a general whole. There are some, there are some women, there are some girls that I know who are just incredible at that as well. Like they just, they go all in and love, like crazy weird adventures going yeah. out into nature for like weeks <laughs> on end. Um, now, and, would you say that, that that's, a, but that's I'd say a that masculine, most men carry that. Yeah. What, what, what would you say then that those women are, are like, uh, like exercising a masculine energy? Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we could probably use, we could probably use language like that. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And that, that's totally fine. You know, I, I, yeah. I think there's, there's still a lot of heavy stigmas out there 
that that aren't necessarily true because I want my wife to go on adventures with me. Now, I don't want her to have a beard and be muscular, but I want her to exercise her, her masculine energy and, and go on hikes with me, go on camping trips with me, go fishing with me, which she does. Mm. But at the same time, I recognize that I have to be at her same level and just a little bit more because that is my role as the man. And once once you and her or you and your wife or your partner are able to um, to recognize each other's masculine and feminine energy, I think one of the strongest masculine traits is to know when it is okay to go into your feminine, mm. when it's okay to be the comforter, when it's okay to uh, to be emotionally vulnerable, to be transparent, to be all of that. Because at that mm. point, you're, you're kind of putting your guard down. You're letting your guard down. And many, many men struggle with that. You mm. know, a mm. lot of us were conditioned that we're never supposed to do that. You don't feel sad. You don't cry. You don't show weakness. You, mm. you, you, tr you treat women in a certain way. And all of that is toxic masculinity. But I think it is because we are teaching our boys, or a lot of us were taught, it's not okay to go into your feminine, which is not true because God put this on us. He, he put all these things within us for a reason. We're supposed to feel sad. We're supposed to feel anger. We're, we have emotions. We're supposed to feel our emotions. Jesus Christ himself is the best example of what it's like to express your emotions. You know, he got, uh, he, he got sad at a funeral and he cried. He got so anxious that he started sweating blood and he got so angry that his temple was turned to a marketplace. He started flipping tables. Now, I'm not telling people to go flip tables, but he felt, he felt all of his emotions and us as Christian men, it's like, well, he basically laid it out for us. Like, why don't we give ourselves permission to feel any of that? Because yeah. Jesus Christ was the most masculine man of all time. But he knew when it was necessary to feel, to cry, to feel sad, to comfort. Um, and I have heard before, you know, I, I can't remember exactly where, but, but I have heard that um, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be like the more feminine uh, of, the, uh, of the triad. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's true or not, but, um, but I can see that, you know, I, I can... I can see how, how a lot of people would take it as that, but, but it's still in the Bible. Um, I believe it's in acts. I can't remember exactly where it is. I'm going to, I'm going to beat myself up for not remembering this, but it does describe the Holy spirit as a him or a he, which again shows me that obviously the Holy spirit is a male, but he still has a lot of feminine qualities to him and that's okay. So with that, like, what, what do you think most men, especially Christian men, why do they struggle with this? Why, why, why do they struggle to actually with both, you know, it, it, now, now that I'm speaking on this, it kind of seems like they struggle with their masculinity as well as kind of castrate themselves for not going into their feminine when a lot of times it's necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think starting with with the masculine, perhaps mm -hmm. 
part of the reason that that some men struggle expressing true masculinity, healthy masculinity, is partly because it hasn't been modeled very well, mm. and partly because yeah. um, a lot of the a lot of the cultural idols that we have don't exhibit that. They don't they don't show that. They don't share that. Um, so we don't know what it looks like. We don't know that it can be a good thing. Yeah. Um, but the other part is mm. that is that hyper stigma around displaying any emotion or or showing your soft side or being nurturing at all. Um, that that then makes us afraid of anything that would label us or get us picked on or or uh, cause others to see us as less of a man because of the tenderness that we might feel. And that, that can, if you can't express those things, then I don't think that you can fully express the, the, the strong, healthy masculinity that mm -hmm. we're meant to carry, that we're meant to show, display to the world. So I think it's a little bit of both. And, yeah. um, and I think a lot of it is, is cultural. And the other part of it is we have an enemy whose schemes are are devious yeah like he it's in his best interest to keep men from being real men and reflecting that part of god and it's in his best interest to keep women from being truly women and expressing that like reflecting that aspect of god mm -hmm. i actually think that that that's part of what makes marriage so so precious is that when we're when we're living in that kind of close proximity with somebody else you're going to bump up against some things that make you uncomfortable yeah and i think that god intentionally put different aspects of himself in male and female so that when they come together they can learn from each other to express the other better and become better reflections of the whole image of God. I love this. That's, I don't know. I don't know if that, you know, it sounds like it maybe resonates with you. And from the stories that you were telling about um, wanting your wife to go out adventuring with you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it sounds like you're cultivating that a little bit as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a different thought on that, but that's that's one of the things that i that i've thought about before and, and thought in terms of you know masculine feminine yeah and i don't think that's a question that we ever ask ourselves in marriage is like what can i actually learn from my spouse mm. and mm. and my wife is definitely the comforter <laughs> i don't like the authority you know i set the rules and all that but there, there's times where she has stepped in because she recognizes that I'm struggling. You know, maybe the kids aren't listening or she sees me frustrated. She sees me getting flustered. And then she just comes in with her beautiful feminine energy, calms everything down, comforts like that, like it's magic. <laughs> and it can be so easy for, for me and any other men to get irritated out that i'm like what the heck you listen to her but not to me but at that point like 
I've learned something and it's like, oh my gosh, like mm. I need her to counter this part of me that struggles. You know, I, I need her to show me that there are different ways that I can handle it to which I have, you know, my, my son's three, he gets night terrors. I used to get so frustrated with him when he would wake up like literally screaming in the middle of the night for hours. I mean, sometimes it'd be hours and that was, that was rough. Cause there's not a whole lot that you can do <laughs> at that point, except just let him cry it out. That's how I thought at first until my wife showed me, you need to comfort him. You need to make sure that it's okay, that, that he feels it's okay to be scared that whatever he's going through, it's going to pass. It's temporary. But in my masculine brain, I was like, I don't know what the heck is going on. I'm just going to start threatening him. I'm just going to start, you know, enforcing rules. I'm just going to put him over here and let him cry. Like, like that's how my masculine brain was thinking. And it wasn't working. It just made right. it worse. Yeah. And then she would just come in and, you know, pick him up and you know rub his back while she was holding him. And, you know, she would, you know, kiss on him, love on him and get in the chair and rock him to sleep. And like that, it was gone. Like took maybe two minutes and i'm like oh my gosh i have a lot of work to do <laughs> <laughs> but um now i'm slowly shifting into that when she's not waking up because she's so tired and i'm the one that wakes up i've learned from her how to be a better comforter and i'm one million percent okay with that i think that it's masculine of me to recognize that it's okay to be a comforter to my son because i've shifted this mindset how do I want my son to feel about me? Mm. Do I want mm. him to think of me as an authority figure or do I want him to also see me as you know, a father is going to comfort him through his fears? I don't want him to fear me when he's already scared. But I think a lot of men go to that with their kids or any, really in any other situation. They don't think, how do I want this person to feel and how can I adjust to that? What What is holding me back from being okay to adjusting to that? Mm. And uh, especially in my marriage, my, my wife is super into romance and, and lovey-dovey stuff. And that's not me. But I still want her to feel that way, which means mm. that I have to start doing certain things to make her feel that way. And once I broke through a lot of my discomfort... And my suffering, because it's a very, very light form of suffering, I, after I learned how to be okay with suffering for that and seeing a way that I made her feel and made me feel really good, it almost felt selfish. <laughs> like I did something to make her feel a certain way, which made me feel a certain way. Both of them were very, very good. Mm. Instead of just, no, that's your love language. This is mine. And that's just the way that it is, you know? <laughs> And love language is a term that um, I'm starting to get a bad taste in my mouth from it because I hear it so often now, but I hear it more often than not used as a way to say, well, this is mine, that's yours, and then that's it. Like, there is no attempt to, to bring those together. There's no attempt to learn, okay, well, how do I, how do I? show up to her love language how do i show up mm. for his love language mm. it kind of it, it's yeah. just another label for people now and it's like well okay my love language is gifts what does that mean for you <laughs> your love language is touch okay cool 
probably not going to touch you, but you know, that's cool that your love language is touch. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So being able to, uh, to intentionally suffer, which is the only conversation that we've had before, um, I think is so imperative because we're going to suffer no matter what. I heard this from Jordan Peterson the other day and it was absolute gold. I'm not sure how, how old the video was, but um, he basically said, no matter what options you have in your life, especially when you've narrowed it down to just two, you're, you're going to suffer no matter what. There is no option where there is no pain. And that is so true. There is like, just, just to break it down as simple as we can, there is the option of not doing anything for your wife not showing up for her, just staying in your comfort of who you are. The pain in that scenario is you're going to have a less than stellar marriage, maybe even a horrible marriage. The other option is you break through by being uncomfortable, by suffering a little bit so that you can make her feel a certain way. Mm. Which one do we mostly default to? It's typically the former. And I know because I, I do it all the time still. You know, it's still a process for me. But intentionally suffering for the, the, the sake of fulfillment later, I, I think, is, is something we need to give much more attention to. You know, and mm. and you and I obviously think about this a lot because because we're coaches and it, it's kind of in our nature. But the, the common person doesn't think about all this stuff. You know, we're, we're so wrapped up in comfort and we think comfort brings happiness and that's just not true you know so i'd love to get your your, your thoughts on that or if there's anything that, that that you'd like to add on uh, the idea of of comfort and discomfort and and why it's so crucial to mm -hmm. to suffer and so on and so forth you know yeah yeah so i I do like I I feel really strongly about that. Like you said, we've we've kind of spoken about that before, but um, I actually just saw a post today that was about that, uh, and it was this you know it was this little graphic that compared two things, and it said you know being you can you're going to be uncomfortable. I think they used uncomfortable instead of suffering, but mm -hmm. you're going to be uncomfortable, and you can choose to be fat and uncomfortable, or you can choose to be going to the gym and uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You're going to be uncomfortable. You can choose to be poor and uncomfortable, or you can choose to be uncomfortable and learn how to make money. Yeah. You're going to be uncomfortable. Like, that's, you know, that's what's going on. You're going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. You can be uncomfortable because you feel like an idiot all the time, or because you choose to be uncomfortable by humbling yourself and going to somebody to learn. You know, mm -hmm. it is, it is, and... Quite often, we just default to the thing that that makes us feel better right now, which comes back around to the conversation of self-soothing behaviors or self-numbing, um, mm -hmm. like pornography or alcohol or binge eating cake. Um, I, I've never had a super unhealthy um, relationship with food, but while I was dealing with my pornography addiction, I did kind of dip into unhealthy relationships with food and yeah. and it was you know it's it, that it's another form of of numbing uh watching mm -hmm. tv all the time yeah um but those are the ways that we we spend our future happiness for for current 
application to be to feel less bad right now we give up the potential future happiness that we could have there are neurobiological reasons for that as well um, evolutionary neurobiolo neurobiological <clears throat> reasons that we do that um, part of it is that we can measure what's in front of us and we can't measure what is down the line mm -hmm. right one of the reasons that people don't want to give something up when we're talking about this the the formula for change how does change actually take place when do people actually decide they decide when the discomfort of staying the way that they are exceeds the discomfort of making a change making a positive change in their life and um and it it does in a way just boil down to that and mm -hmm. there's discomfort on both sides so I used to have, uh, when I was a teenager, I thought, do you know what would be a really cool uh, motto to have would be to do hard things. And to an extent, you know, it is, you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to get yourself to do some things that you maybe don't want to do. It's a good way to um, push yourself to grow. And it's not a good end in itself. Yeah. You know, pain pain suffering doing hard things just because it's a hard thing it is is a bit it's just short-sighted it's really short-sighted mm -hmm. and uh and a part of that was was my pride one of the other things that i think men deal with a lot is pride uh to go back to our conversation about why coaching do it when you when you look at it logically the hard thing is just to try to figure every absolutely everything out for yourself by yourself yeah well, that's that's hard mm -hmm. um but it's not the good kind of hard yeah that's that's the stupid kind of hard that's the hard just for the sake of hard but i really do believe in in being willing to do hard things to accomplish what you what you dream of what you want for your family what you want to accomplish for the kingdom look having a conversation with somebody about why they need jesus that's a hard conversation it's yeah. difficult to get over ourselves mm -hmm. and that's that's the kind of hard that i think we should be embracing does that kind of i love that, it man yeah yeah obviously there's there's really like no like oh my gosh that's the right answer for all of that you know but i think it, it's essential for us to at least understand that no matter what we're going to be uncomfortable that we are going to suffer one way or another and we have a choice to do something about that or not and we can use that in our advantage we can use that to grow and once we start to to really grasp that that's when fulfillment really starts to happen because now you're suffering for a purpose mm -hmm. now you're suffering for something that serves you you're not mm -hmm. suffering just to just to pass the time you're not suffering and just getting closer to going into the dirt one day mm -hmm. now you're suffering doing something that has meaning that has purpose that 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 drives you you know I don't want to really work out twice a day, but 
I do that because I have a motive behind it. And like the 4.30 a.m. me who doesn't want to do it, but recognizes that the 6 a.m. me is going to thank me. That's really all the motive that I need. And it's mm. true. At 6 a.m., mm. whenever I've completed it, I'm like, I'm so glad that I did that. I'm so glad that I, that I suffered through all that. If it's 6 a.m. and I didn't do it, I am, I am in my head so much like, why the heck did you not do that? Like that form of suffering is so much worse than doing the actual workout. And that's just one example, you know, but there's one that has purpose and meaning behind it and where, uh, where the suffering actually has some substance to it. And the, and the latter just is, I suffered because I didn't push myself. I suffered because fear was holding me back. Maybe it was pride, <clears throat> but every day is like that. Like almost every decision that we make is going to have some form of discomfort or suffering. It's just which one is going to serve us and which one are we just kind of defaulting to because it's comfortable in the moment. And I think the more that we're aware of that, the more we can actually start measuring how we grow as people, how we grow as, as Christians. Um, even today when I was, uh, I was dropping my, my girls off at school. Uh, you know, when you were, in grade school, you probably weren't super excited to, to go to school every single day, but I can just kind of see, you know, they, they weren't pretty stoked about going to, uh, to Tuesday, you know, Tuesday school. So I just asked them, what are, what are some things you guys are excited about today? <clears throat> uh, I don't know. Just bleh. You know, they weren't excited about anything. Hmm. And then finally my six-year-old was like, I don't know, maybe we're going to color. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, you're going to be able to color today. That's so awesome that is something you should be excited about. And I can just see her like start to brighten up a little bit. And then my oldest daughter, I was like, well, what's, what's, what do you guys normally do on Tuesdays? Um, her teacher um, is really into uh, this guy. He's really into uh, race cars. He's like, Oh yeah. Or she was like, Oh yeah, it's Tuesday. So it's tool Tuesday where he'll bring in a, uh, a particular mechanical tool and he'll explain to the class what that tool is. Mm. and what it does which i was like oh my gosh like i i was really happy about that i'm like that's awesome like kids need to know what tools are and what they do you know but she started to get excited about that and and the lesson behind that i was telling it was like you guys can choose to suffer throughout your day or it's super boring it's gonna suck you're here for eight or nine hours whatever it is or you can intentionally be excited about something it doesn't even matter if that thing is going to happen or not, but you can set your mind on being excited about something and set your mind to do that. You can set your emotions to do that. You can wake up every day and ask yourself, what am I going to be excited about today? And then lean into that and have that lead you. And mm. your life will be so much more fulfilling doing that. Now they're suffering in both. They're suffering on making yourself do that which even some days for me, I wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I have nothing to be excited about today, which is a voice from something else other than me and God, but it's hard. There's suffering. There's discomfort in me trying to really focus on something that I could be excited about and then pursuing that mm. versus just, hey, it's just another day. You know, I'm just going to go through the motions. Both options have suffering. One of them is going to bring me fulfillment or at least give me a very, very good chance of being fulfilled. 
And the other one, I'm just going to get older. I'm just going to get closer to going into the dirt, which mm. that doesn't serve anybody. You know, it doesn't serve me. It doesn't serve my family. It sure as heck doesn't serve God. He blessed me with that day. Why would I not want to be excited about something that day? Mm. You know, and I even gave this example, you know, when I was talking to my daughters about their day, I'm like, I have a podcast uh, guest today. I have three clients, like, I could go into my day just like, yeah, I can, I can just, you know, do this hour real quick with Scott and get this podcast done. And, you know, then I got to talk to three guys, you know, for 45 minutes or an hour versus I'm going to have an amazing conversation with Scott today. I mean, he's all the way in the UK. Like, it's so cool that two Christian men get to have this amazing fire conversation and we're going to help thousands, maybe even millions of people. And I'm just super stoked for that. And those clients, like I have an opportunity to help three men in their own individual journeys. And I don't just want to help them. I want to be able to boldly help them and their families and their communities and so on and so forth. And then after that, I was like, do you see the difference? Like on one, one scenario, I can just go through the motions and have it be a pretty bland, crappy day. The other one, I can show up bold and unstoppable and on fire and how do you guys think I'm going to feel at the end of that day? You know, I can just mm. see, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of light bulbs going off in their mind. And mm. I hope that they'll carry this in, into tomorrow, but I think this is something that we need to teach our kids, or if we don't have kids, at least teach other people this, you know, there's going to be suffering no matter what, but we can use it into our advantage to where life will start to be so much better you know we'll start to be so much more fulfilled and it just takes yeah. a little bit of of courage you know that kind yeah. of went on a tangent right there <laughs> no that's that's good it's good yeah um amen to what you're saying like you know if we have a choice get excited about it or don't for the listeners if 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 you don't know how to do that, one of my favorite tools for doing this is to take out a piece of paper and look at your day tomorrow. And at the top, you just write down tomorrow I have to, and then list what you have to do. You know, tomorrow I have to get in my car. I, I have to make breakfast for myself. I have to go to work. I've got a, I've got that meeting with the boss or that meeting with a client. I, I have to, I'm going to have to have lunch and uh, that'll be in the break room, but you know, and then I'll probably have to sit with somebody that I work with and have an awkward conversation, you know, like, and just kind of, you know, lay out in bullet point form, maybe like 10, 12, 15 things that you have to do tomorrow. And then what you do is you go back to that sheet of paper and at the top where you've written tomorrow, I have to, you strike out have to, and you write get to. And then read your list again. Oh, I love that. And read your list as tomorrow I get to make myself breakfast. I get mm. to make myself breakfast. Yeah. And then I get to drive to work. Yeah. I mean, I when that, I was man. when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to drive. That's a total you know? shift, man. Total shift in mindset. Just immediately, right? So mm. for those of you and uh, I would love anybody listening, give that a try. And shoot Stacy a message, shoot me a message, let us know how it went. Because uh, we love hearing those stories of tiny tools like the, the tools like you were talking about that teacher brings in on Tuesdays. We love hearing how those have impacted people. 
um, how they're shaping the way that they're thinking, how they're changing uh, the lives that they're living. We love to hear that. And I, I love that. Uh, I love that exercise that you just gave because it, it's small things like that, that, that really will bring us freedom. And mm. that's exactly what, what you do as a coach. And, and freedom is something that can be defined you know, differently with, with every person. And I try to go in to, to these things. I like think if I have to help somebody like that, like their life is on the line, like what are some practical things that I can help them with today so that they can make it to tomorrow? And mm. what you just said is, is something that can do exactly that, you know, where you are going to at least give them freedom from this, this mindset that they have to do these things. And then you bless them with, oh my gosh, you get to do these things. And it's truth. You know, it's not like we're manipulating people, but oh my goodness, like gratitude is something that we struggle mightily with. Mm. You know, I mean, especially regarding, you know, money, we, we think that money's going to fix everything and we need more, but it's just not true. Like we, we get to wake up every day. Most of us are walking, we're breathing, but most of us have a chance to turn our lives around today. And why not today? Why do we keep telling ourselves we're going to do it tomorrow? Or we're going to do it in a few months or we're going to do it, you know, after Christmas. We're going to wait till night. Why are you waiting? Like, what is holding you back? You can start creating freedom today. Because unless Jesus comes back in the next 10 seconds, like those days are going to come. Like January 1st is, is going to come. 2023 is going to come. 2033 is going to come. And you can either be better in those moments, you can either be closer to freedom, or you won't, or you'll be worse. <laughs> but if you choose to do nothing today, you're most likely going to choose to do nothing in the future. Like start yeah. taking action today, even something as simple as that exercise that you just gave, Scott, that's, that's beautiful, and it's very practical, and it's easy. And, and I already felt that the shift in my mindset from that, you know, and I love how it's something that everyone can do. Because a lot of people come to me like, Stacey, what I want to work on my mindset. Like, how do I, how do I focus on changing my mindset? I'm like, all right, we're going to punish your body. What? <laughs> you know, like, no, I just want to change my mindset. Like, yeah. Like if you put yourself through some, some strenuous physical activity, those those voices are going to come up like you're you're uh you're your quitter your doubter your everything mm. is going to come up and try to pull you back into comfort so not advocating for anybody to do that but that's usually the direction that i go but mm -hmm. i love that example that you just gave because anyone could do that at any time you can write it on a napkin if you want you know yeah yeah, I mean, everybody's got a smartphone in their pocket. You can you can do it on your notes app. Mm -hmm. um, I pref I personally, when when possible, I, I prefer people do it with a pen and paper or with a pen and a napkin or, you know, just something that they can actually write on physically and see it. But if you don't have that option, you know, use use your phone, use yeah. your computer. Yeah, um, for sure. And and what you said as well, like. Quite often, the change that we want to see, especially when it comes to mindset or emotions, is not arrived at 
by the route that we think we have to take. Mm. So um, I, I also work out um, and I, I tend to alternate cardio days and strength days. Um, my wife and I also go to the, the climbing gym together. We love bouldering and uh, that's kind of nice. our, that's our activity of choice for most of the year. Um, indoors, if outdoors is impossible and outdoors when, whenever we can. Um, so yeah, love doing physical activity and, uh, learning how to push myself through that. Um, one of my experiences that, that I undertook, which some people would look at it and say, you did that just cause it was hard. Um, but I had, I had my own reasons and there was, there was benefit for doing it, but I've, I ran a half of an ultra marathon with a couple of friends. Hadn't really trained for it, but uh, we were we were hill running as well. So we did. Um, what How was? How far it? is that? Just curious. So yeah, so we ran um, thirty miles. Okay, gotcha. Thirty miles. Uh, anything ultra marathon is anything beyond a marathon distance. Right. Yeah. So when you said half of an ultra, I'm like, well, what would that be? (laughs) How far is a half of an ultra? Yeah. Um, it worked out to, in terms of distance, just slightly shorter than, but they were running it like it was a full event. So there was one that started, um, I think 35 miles before us. Mm. And then there was us starting at, at kind of the midway point and running the 30 miles, 30 miles and six and a half thousand feet of vertical ascent that we had to do. Goodness. And that, that beasted me. Like that was intense. I can um, imagine. But the growing that I experienced as, as a result. So again, I would, I would not, I, if you're listening to this and you're thinking that sounds incredibly hard and I would, and I, I'm not even sure that I can run around the block twice. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> um, you know, pick something else, <laughs> but uh, it can it can be it can be other things like choosing to um, choosing not to drink coffee as soon as you wake up. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Choosing choosing to push to like to push that back a little bit. Let yourself feel uncomfortable. Let yourself feel that ooh, I need caffeine right now feeling, and just sit with it for five minutes. You can start with five minutes. Mm-hmm. Silence is another one. Trying to be silent and still, stilling your body and not saying anything. External silence as well, if you can, if you can manage it. Super uncomfortable for a lot of people. Most people that I know um, can only make it about a minute before they before they feel the need to move and say something. Yeah, and you can build up that tolerance. Cold showers are one that I love. Uh, and I think we've talked about that before. I've got a friend uh, who's also a coach in Vancouver, Canada, yeah. and uh, he likes going cold dipping. He likes uh, going and finding a mountain stream somewhere and just sitting in it for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. That sounds awesome. It is. It actually, I mean, if you, if you haven't done it, it is, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, an, it's a euphoric experience. Yeah. It's really cool, really awesome. Um, I do cold showers. Um, I don't have the opportunity. I don't have the um, the facility where I'm living right now to do uh, extended cold dips unless I fill my tub with ice water. But um, yeah, uh, and so he chooses to push himself that way, mm-hmm. and um, is a great guy. And and 
finding ways that you are willing to push the envelope, to push yourself towards what feels uncomfortable, to sit with that, that discomfort for a few minutes and find out that it actually doesn't kill you. Mm-hmm. Do that. Yep. Do that. You will grow. That's so true, man. Yeah. Our, our brains are wired for survival at, at this point, And we often tell ourselves a bunch of BS, um, <laughs> especially food. You know, even my, my, my wife, uh, which I'm, I hate picking on her, but she, she'll often eat crappy food because she says she's starving. Like you're not starving. <laughs> it's actually better for your body to not eat that crap and to just fast just for a couple of hours. Yeah. Like your, your body will thank you for giving it three to four more hours to digest whatever you already have going on in there and to do other things rather than process a crappy cheeseburger and some crappy fries. Like, right. You're not starving. Like the human body is ridiculous. Like it can go in that food for 20 to 30 days. You're going to be fine. You don't have to eat that. In fact, it's better that you don't eat that. It's better that you just fast. But we tell ourselves, I'm going to die if I don't eat. You know, I'm going to die if I go on this workout today. I'm, I'm going to yeah. die if I do a cold shower, which I would love to do cold showers. But something's wrong with our water heater, man. Like it, Our water temperature is whatever the temp is outside. And now I'm in Tucson, Arizona, so we're still like 99, 100 degrees. So I get nothing but hot water. <laughs> <laughs> uh I was in, um, yeah, I was in, uh, well, somewhere in the UK, Nottingham. Uh, Actually, Nottingham. Everybody will know Nottingham, right? Yeah. Um, Robin Hood, Sheriff Nottingham. That Nottingham. Yeah. Um, I was there for, uh, I was actually, I was leading worship at a residential uh, theology school. And um, even with the water in my shower, like full on cold, it was it was still like warm enough to steam up the mirror in the bathroom. Oh my <laughs> like, gosh. Yeah. It was, I was like, uh, I'm going to stand here forever before I feel like I've had my cold shower. Like, I know. And you oh. know, what's crazy about cold showers is once you get like, once you're in for about 10 seconds and you've breathed your way through it, it's like not cold anymore. Yeah. Like it, you just have to cut, cut through that, you know, cut through that, yeah. that initial, urge to get back into comfort yeah. and and then you just feel so much better after it you know you you feel like you've actually accomplished something which you have you're able to overcome you're able to to um to fight that survival instinct. yeah you you were able to to suffer well which is something i like to say all yeah. the time and, and just mm. the word suffer is so triggerable like i asked this question on, on a, on a, in a facebook group a bunch of facebook groups and so many people like hated me right off the bat just because i said what are some ways that you intentionally suffer throughout your day and i could see you know in context how people would get mad because there are those out there who who are suffering against their will but obviously i wasn't talking about them it was mm. uh towards us what are some things that we can intentionally do to not default into comfort but yeah. um, to, to suffer well, I think, is something that is very needed if, if you're able to, you know, if you're not living in a place where you're being persecuted or your life is literally on the line every day. Um, 
it's something that is very necessary to get the fulfillment that God has set before us. You know, he didn't say it was going to be a comfortable life. I mean, quite the opposite. Yeah. You know, he said, we're going to go through some things, but if, if you don't know how to overcome, if you don't know how to, how to suffer and be uncomfortable, it's going to be impossible to go through those things and come out the other mm. end, a better person, you know, you're most likely going to run. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, no, man, I, I agree. Yeah. I don't have anything else for you, man. Um, it's always a pleasure talking with you, dude. Very, very fire conversation. man. I feel like I can talk to you all day about whatever, you know, it's a shame that you're in the UK, man. I'd love to, to go on these, these crazy cold dips with you. <laughs> Well, you know what? Like, I've still got family in Canada, and uh, my wife's got some family in the states, so um, we have to travel back at some time, you know. Absolutely. But yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. Um, I I'll look forward to our next virtual conversation, and yes. um, just let that stoke the fire until we can meet in person and uh, do some often awesome stuff together. Yeah, I don't know about any ultra marathons, but I don't know. I think we'll do, we'll think of I'm, something. We'll do I'm something. Going to, yeah, <laughs> I think that might be one that I have to do eventually, but uh, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll think of something for sure. All right, Scott, yeah, if you're okay with it, man, let's, uh, let's close in prayer real quick and then I'll let you get back to your family. Father God, thank you so much for the journey that you've placed Scott on and the gifts and strengths and the abilities that you've given him to help everyone that he's touched father and i pray that you give him wisdom you give him strength you give him everything that that is needed from you in order to overcome in order to help people find their freedom to find freedom in your son and to know that every day from you is a blessing and it is an opportunity for us to turn our lives around for you for your glory and for your kingdom it's for your son's beautiful and mighty name we pray amen Amen. Amen. Scott, brother, thank you again, man. We'll definitely be in touch. We definitely got to do this again. And uh, yeah, Godspeed, man. God bless you. God bless. See you soon. Bye, brother. If you are a Christian man struggling to find or live your godly purpose, or if you're overcome with repetitive sin, addiction, vices, if you're battling for your marriage or trying to create connection with your kids, you do not have to fight this alone. It's imperative that you have that solid brotherhood, that you have social circles of strong Christian men around you. So please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Proverbs 27:17 says that iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and I am called to be that iron and that man for you. You can reach me in several ways. My Instagram is Stacy Gonzalez underscore Crown Legacy or on Facebook at forward slash smgonzalez88. You can check out my website at stacymgonzalez.com or email me at stacy.gonzalez at icloud.com. Reach out to me on any of those platforms. It is my obligation to respond to you. And with every inquiry is a free session from myself. It's absolutely 100% free with no obligations. So please don't waste any more time. Let's get you back on that narrow path. And as always, God bless, God speed, and take back your crown.